Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It's 10.40 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time. It's the 25th day of April 2023, and this is episode 712 of Bitcoin and mea culpa, mea culpa, mea culpa, mea culpa. I'm going to put on my little uh, Pope hat and go shit in the woods because I totally screwed up <clears throat> and um, kind of, it's, I guess I should say it's probably a sorry, not sorry thing, but... It is a mea culpa, so I've got to go ahead and, and uh, come clean. Uh, so, earlier this morning, I right-clicked and saved a screenshot from j.bsky or bluesky.team. Actually, it's B-S-K-Y. That's the way the Blue Sky people apparently do their handles. Um, and sent it out and said, and then, and, and I sent that out and I said in the note that I sent out was, and then blue sky died before it even got started. Well, I forgot that I should really have told everybody that I stole that. I, I right clicked and saved that son of a bitch from, uh, who is it? Who is it? Is it? See, that's the problem. I'm having some problems with uh, snort.social today. Uh, eh, Fatweeder95 at walletofsatoshi.com is the only moniker I've got for this guy right now because what for whatever reason, snort.social isn't showing me the name of his handle. All right, so he's the guy. Fatweeder95, that's fat. Weeder, like fat weed, but weeder, fat weeder, 95, the number's 95, at walletofsatoshi.com. You might want to give him some some zaps on that if you can, because I totally stole his shit. He's the one that put it up, and it was, it's a screenshot of the CEO of Blue Sky saying stupid shit, which we will get to in a moment after I finish my mea culpa. Uh, That was not right of me to do. I should have totally tagged the guy. But I've started finding out that one of the reasons why every once in a while I will do that is that, especially in Noster, I'm pretty sure that I have a different set of relays uh, than like an original poster might have. I have a different set of followers than the original poster might have. When I find something that's really, really important to get out there, I will do this instead of like quote, you know, quote noting, if you know the old quote tweeting, uh, I will, instead of quote noting it, it seems to have further reach. If I just do it as just right click and save the screen grab or the meme or whatever, and then just post that under my own term, under my own uh, moniker, Um, it seems to get further reach. I don't have proof, but again, mea culpa, I should have totally 
totally said, hey, man, it's fatweeder95 at walletofsatoshi.com. And again, that's not his real handle. I just don't have his handle because for some reason, snort.social isn't showing it. And he totally got all over me. <laughs> Actually, he didn't get all over me. What he said was, Nunya copy-pasted my JPEG for his own clout. I'd like to file a copyright infringement suit. <laughs> and here's what, it, here's what it is. This is from Jay Grabber, which is the CEO that Jack Dorsey hired to run the shop at Blue Sky. And somehow she just says this, <clears throat> quote, Jack doesn't have unilateral power. He has one third influence on the board. I'm the CEO. Besides, Jack is truly dedicated to seeing through decentralized social, whether it's Web5, US, Noster, or W slash E, whatever the hell that is. I have the most control over this endeavor, and I'm grateful for everyone who's trusted me with it. She's got the power, dude. Jay's got the power, and she's making sure that you know that she's got the power over Blue Sky. She's the CEO. And that's why I think that this whole thing was important to note to the point that I totally ripped this guy off, um, that everybody far and wide should be aware that We've got somebody over at Blue Sky who, I mean, they're not even a few months into their, you know, their first release to the public. And you've already got somebody who's making sure that everybody knows that they've got the power, that Jack Dorsey only has one third of the influence. And either way, it, it doesn't really matter if she's trying to diss Jack. And I don't think that that's the, the key. I think the key here is that she's making sure that everybody knows that she's the CEO. How, how many times do we have to do this? How many, how many times do we have to do this crap before we learn our lessons? Because the same shit that happened to Twitter is going to happen to Blue Sky now. They've already got, it seems to me they've already got internal power struggles. And even if they don't, you've still got somebody who's acting a little bit maniacal here. And that never ends well. And something that is so fledgling as Blue Sky, I don't know, man. This is why I Noster and the central banks are why I Bitcoin. It's not that hard. This isn't, this isn't rocket science, but... Uh, go, going a little bit further here, let's see. Um, uh, fatweeder95 at walletofsatoshi.com. That's fatweeder95 at walletofsatoshi.com. Please give him a zap uh, to apologize, help me apologize to him. Um, says, it's important to spread, especially considering that I replied asking for elaboration of the control part and how their governance structure works for merging code and not a single person has given me a clear answer. These are the only answers I got. To me, it sounds like they're trying to hide the fact that it isn't as open as it claimed to be. Okay, so he's got, I, he's got other screenshots here that I'm not going to copy, but I'll read them to you. Pat at bsky.social says, can you elaborate? Oh, this is Pat. Okay, sorry. It's at Pat. That's who I'm talking about. This is at Pat. That finally found the handle, at Pat. Can you elaborate on control over this endeavor? Isn't this supposed to be an open protocol that no one controls? Ryan writes back, says, everything has some form of governance, even open standards. No one controls is just chaos. 
Pat writes back, says, true, but a CEO having the most control over this endeavor does not sound open at all, which is why I'm asking for elaboration on what control means. What even is the governance structure here? Does the Blue Sky team have unilateral control of any changes made of the protocol? And then uh, this, the guy that's in contact with, with Pat writes back, says, protocols and standards often first start outside standard bodies, standards bodies. There's a common saying in these groups, pave the cow paths. Look at how people are interoperating, how small de facto standards are emerging organically, and then formalize those instead of making something up in a vacuum. And then Ryan writes back some more and says, for example, ActivityPub originally started as one person's thing, even Parmados or Pump.io, well before the W3C Social Web Working Group took it and ran with it. Designed by committee is an epithet for a reason. And it's just, I don't know who this Ryan person is. I don't think Ryan's part of Blue Sky, but he may be, but this is, that's all of that's beside the point because that's still working under the legacy social media model, control. Who has control? What does control mean? And then this person is saying there should be some modicum of control. And, you know, honestly, later on, I think we're gonna, let me make sure it's gonna, see if it's gonna be here. Uh, yeah, uh, I've got a quote here that's gonna come up in the second part of the show that we'll get to. Uh, but we're not going to do it right now. So there's my mea culpas to Pat. Sorry, Pat. I, I I didn't mean to steal any thunder from you. I just think that this is an important notion. That's why I, I did what I did. But again, mea culpa. Uh, now, <clears throat> Maple Trade. Maple Trade over on Noster is the guy that sent me some samples of his maple syrup, which, by the way, is the best maple syrup that I've ever had in my entire life. And I've sampled quite a few different maple syrups from many different farmers markets in many different states and i've never tasted anything like this this is i mean it tastes like maple syrup but it's wonderful it is just absolutely fabulous and his sister makes some really good hand soap and body soaps as well so uh might want to hit up maple trade uh and i will uh i don't want to go too long i was going to read Part of a letter that Maple Trade sent me describing his uh, wonderful, wonderful maple syrup. But I'm going to save that one because we got a lot of stuff to work through today. Um, but uh, hit up Maple Trade. It's at B E I S N E R D S on Noster. Again, that's B is nerds. B I I B E I S N E R D S. That's his uh, handle over there on Noster. You can take a look for that. And if he has any left, go order whatever he's got. If he doesn't have any left, then make sure that you start a conversation with Maple Trade uh, so that you can get a hold of his whatever his next batch is going to be because you're not going to want to miss this. Now, let's get into the news. President Biden's new communications director owns somewhere between $50,000 and $100,000 worth of Bitcoin. BTC Casey, Bitcoin Magazine. President Biden's new communications director, Ben LaBolt, owns between 50 and 100K worth of Bitcoin, according to a regular disclosure filed. 
In addition, President Joe Biden has restricted the role of LeBolt in matters involving cryptocurrency and technology firms that LeBolt previously represented. The restrictions will apply to firms such as Meta Platforms, Juan Ventures, and Shopify. LeBolt will, however, be permitted to advise on the president's approach to regulating cryptocurrency and social media companies. The restrictions imposed on LeBolt are consistent with rules followed by other senior White House staff. The latest economic report from the White House, which discussed Bitcoin for the most part, wrote off the benefits of the technology while simultaneously reflecting on the various properties that the administration believes uh, gives the U.S. dollar its value. While the latter was not wholly untrue, the former misrepresented the fundamental value of Bitcoin. This came shortly after a roadmap was released that detailed the admin's plan to investigate an American CBDC, whoop-de-doo, I don't give a shit. What I do give a shit about is that the Biden's commu- new communication director, Ben LeBolt, is a Bitcoiner, or at least so far he is. He's a Bitcoiner until he sells it. Right? If he holds any Bitcoin at all, then LeBolt is a Bitcoiner. That's going to be kind of an interesting issue, considering that he is restricted from talking about it. Um I think it's up to us to make sure that we hammer the fact in public media, wherever it is that we can, that LeBolt owns Bitcoin. If if the Biden administration is not going to allow LeBolt to say anything about it at all, then we're going to have to actually do it for Ben LeBolt or, yeah, Ben LeBolt. So uh, get get the news story. It's uh, Bitcoin Magazine, BTC Casey, uh, wrote it about 22 hours ago, according to the timestamp. Go get it. Go spread it. I know everybody's still pissed off at Bitcoin Magazine, and honestly, they're not making me happy either. They are seem wholly invested on this ordinal bullshit. I don't, I don't understand what's going on. This sounds really weird to me, but it's like it's ordinal uh, story after ordinal story. Like I've seen one almost every day. I'm purposely not reading them to you. Because honestly, I think ordinals are just a complete waste of time, just like any other rock or monkey JPEG has always been a complete waste of time. So we'll move on over to Cointelegraph for now. Bitcoin price hits a new record high in Argentina, Cointelegraph Yashu Gola. Last week, the price of Bitcoin reached a record high in Argentine pesos. Uh, terms following persistent inflation in that country. On April the 18th, the BTC to Argentine peso exchange rate crossed over 6.59 million ARS. That's the symbol for Argentine pesos. According to aggregated price data tracked by Google Finance, since the peak, the rate has corrected to around 6 million ARS, which is down 9%, but still up more than 100% year to date. Bitcoin's growth in the Argentine markets coincides with the continuous ARS devaluation. For instance, traders were paying as low as 460 ARS to buy $1 from the black market on April the 24th, more than double the official spot rate that pays 220 ARS for a single United States dollar. Uh, FMYA, a United States-based consultancy firm, noted that the Argentine central bank's reserves have dropped by half to an estimated $1.3 billion since 2019. That has raised the risk of further peso devaluation, which has crashed nearly 99%. Let's read it again. The peso, the Argentine peso, 
has crashed nearly 99% from the currency crisis peak of 330 ARS in 2018. I'm assuming 330 ARS per United States dollar. That has led locals to seek haven in the dollar which has become scarce due to rising demand in the country. At the same time, Bitcoin and similar cryptocurrencies operating outside governments and central banks purview are increasingly emerging as alternatives. For example, data shows that Bitcoin's peer-to-peer weekly volume in Argentina reached a record high of nearly $30 million in March on the Paxful exchange. Also, a study in 2022 found that nearly 60% of Argentines believe in Bitcoin's ability to safeguard the value of their savings in the long term. Popular U.S. currency exchange Coinbase also recommends BTC become a legal tender in Argentina. I wonder why Coinbase is so interested in Argentina. It doesn't really matter. Um, the current the, the issue that they say here, um, let's see, where was it? Oh, good Lord. Where was it? Where was it? Ah, shit. I can't find it anymore. Uh, yes, here it is. Um, that has led locals to seek haven in the dollar, which has become scarce due to rising demand in the country. It ain't just Argentina where dollars are scarce. That's the thing that we export. The United States of America exports two items. At this point, the United States dollar and our topsoil, except we don't get any money for the topsoil. We just lose it from erosion and it gets into the Mississippi and all the rest of the river basins and it just flows into the Gulf of Mexico, the Pacific Ocean on the west side and the Atlantic Ocean in the east side. We export more tonnage of topsoil than any other thing at all that we've ever exported, be it steel, be it iron, be it whatever. Bauxite for aluminum, it doesn't matter. The amount of tonnage of topsoil far outweighs however much of anything that we've ever exported from the United States. But the difference is, is we're not selling that soil to anybody, ladies and gentlemen. It's just washing into the water from erosion because of our shitty ass farming and ranching practices. There are some people that are bringing back correct ways to do it. Like, you know, J- Justin Trammell in uh, Canyon, Texas, and all the rest of the people in the beef initiative that actually know how to conserve soil and use it with, and to do that with ruminal animals, they know how to do it. But for the great guts and feathers of most people, of most of the farmers and ranchers in the United States, really not doing it that well because ranching has become a commodity thing and you've got, They've taken the animals off the actual land and put them on cement pads and box them in, and it's a feedlot. So the animals aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing on the soil. It doesn't matter. The United States dollar and United States topsoil are the two major exports of the United States at this time. And we cannot seem to export enough dollars because no matter how many dollars we print and export, the dollar always seems to be scarce. I get the feeling that that is the only reason why the dollar still has to this day world reserve currency status is because for whatever reason, once they get to whatever country they're going to, those dollars just evaporate. And if Argentines and Brazilians and Central Americans and the rest of Latin America were fucking smart, 
They be buying Bitcoin hand over fist because this shit is not going to continue very much longer. Five, seven years is going to be a completely different fabric that you're looking at when it comes to the United States and our ability to do the same bullshit that we've been doing for decades and decades. Now, back to Bitcoin Magazine. What is a medium of exchange? A comprehensive guide. This is written by Bitcoin Magazine. They have actually put out, along with the fact that they're putting out all these ordinal and inscription articles about what they're doing, they also seem to have dropped a whole bunch of basic economics guides. Let's see what they have to say about a medium of exchange. As society structure and organization became more complex over time, the need for an evolving monetary system arose from the limitations of barter. <clears throat> Excuse me. Barter is not suitable as a means of exchange goods and services in an economic system larger than a tribe or a family. Barter was unsuitable for expanding societies that needed a more efficient method to exchange goods and services. Hence, about 2,600 years ago, a new and more sophisticated medium of exchange emerged in Lydia, a region recognized now as modern Turkey. And it materialized with stamped coins to face the challenges of barter and facilitate trade. A medium of exchange is an intermediary item that is widely accepted to facilitate the trade of goods and services between two parties. It is one of money's three universally agreed upon functions along with store value and unit of account. A store value is any asset that maintains its value over time without depreciating. A unit of account is a standard monetary unit that measures the market values of goods, services, economic activities, assets, and liabilities. Bitcoin Magazine takes you through the significance of money and its different spectrums. After exploring what money is and what underlies its value, we now dive into its primary functions, starting with the medium of exchange. A medium of exchange is an intermediary instrument that facilitates the buying and selling of goods and services. In remote times, shells, whale teeth, salt, tobacco, and other objects that occurred rarely in nature were employed. Nowadays, <clears throat> currencies are the most common media of exchange as they're suitable intermediaries between the products or services people want to trade. Still, the currency needs to possess specific properties. The first medium of exchange coin was created by the Lydians, who hailed from Antalya. Anatolia in modern day Turkey. The coin was made of a gold and silver alloy to certify weight and purity and was stamped with images of merchants, landowners, and other well-known entities. While gold and other metals <clears throat> had likely already been used as a medium of exchange, the Lydians first issued official standardized coins that could be accepted as an intermediary good with a set value recognized as money. They thereby economized on the assaying of the unstamped coins, cutting out some transaction costs and dealing with monetary metals. In our modern economies, governments must ensure that their currencies are made widely available to the public, that they are not easy to counterfeit, and that they are uh, available in sufficient quantities to satisfy public demand. A medium of exchange allows us to trade more efficiently by solving the barter problem often referred to as the coincidence of once, a term used to describe an instance where I have the item that you want and you have the item that I want. 
the mental burden of having to find this exact scenario over and over again in order to trade is considerable and an impediment to a growing economy. Imagine I have a battery and I want to trade it for some medicine. I have to find someone with medicine who is in need of a battery and then negotiate a trade, which can be a complicated endeavor. A medium of exchange makes trade more accessible by allowing more people to trade goods indirectly for other goods. As the primary purpose of a medium of exchange is to facilitate transactions between parties, to be effective, a medium of exchange must be recognized and accepted by all parties. Here, the concept of a medium of exchange converges with the purpose of a good store of value since its stability allows owners to store it for an extended period with relatively low risks as an investment. Money serves as the most efficient medium of exchange that eliminates the issue of the coincidence of wants commonly associated with barter, allowing individuals, companies, and systems to transact with ease. As an intermediary tool, money enables buyers and sellers to participate in the market as equal players, lending to fair trade or leading to fair trade and increased production efficiency. This is because money helps producers identify what goods or services to produce and the optimal pricing model for them. Likewise, buyers can plan their purchases based on predictable and stable pricing models. When purchasing a product or service, buyers typically bid according to the asking price, which in turn allows producers to determine the variety and quantity of items to be produced. However, if consumers are unable to accurately value a product or service, it can lead to difficulties in budget planning, potentially resulting in a chaotic economy due to the challenges of estimating demand and supply. An item or system must possess certain properties that facilitate efficiency and functionality to be a suitable medium of exchange. It's not necessary for an item to be backed by a commodity or any other asset to become money. Instead, it must evolve to become the most saleable good following an evolutionary process that starts with being recognized as a store of value before being a medium of exchange and eventually becoming a unit of account. The three dimensions of the most saleable good are across time, space, and through scales. To possess the function of a medium of exchange, a saleable good should be easily transported and accepted over long distances and be used in indirect exchange for trade rather than for direct consumption. Such a function can be achieved through two key properties wide acceptability by the public and portability, which makes it easy to move over large distances. The aforementioned properties make any item or system a good medium of exchange. Also, a good medium of exchange should hold value over time and be censorship resistant other than serving its purpose as an intermediary for exchanging goods or services between two parties in the case of currencies serving the purpose of money They are only as good as the government that issues them. Political instability, rampant inflation, government malfunction will inevitably affect the value and stability of a nation's currency. The digital era has brought new opportunities to develop an innovative monetary system based on protected cryptography and distributed networks that ensure decentralization. Bitcoin is the first cryptocurrency that can be regarded as a good medium of exchange, possessing all the essential criteria that make trade transactions easy, 
fast, and secure. It's already proved to be a good store of value, and since it owns the properties necessary to be a good medium of exchange, it also has the potential to become a unit of account. One key advantage of Bitcoin as a medium of exchange is its ability to settle transactions quickly. Bitcoin transactions are confirmed and settled every 10 minutes, making them faster than traditional banking methods, which can take days or even weeks to complete. This speed is especially important for businesses that require fast and efficient payment processing. Another important feature of Bitcoin as a medium of exchange is the efficiency of its layer two solutions, such as Lightning. The Lightning Network is a second layer solution built on top of Bitcoin, and it enables instant and low cost transactions between parties. With the Lightning Network, market participants can conduct micro transactions without having to wait for confirmations on the blockchain, making it highly efficient solutions for small transactions. It also provides extra properties like censorship resistance to better protect people who live under authoritarian governments and absolute scarcity since its total supply moves closer to the maximum 21 million amount with every new block mined. Bitcoin's revolutionary system may disrupt the status quo and its limitations, but it's still in the infancy stage, and like anything so innovative, it will take time to catch on. So the bottom line, <clears throat> society has evolved throughout the centuries, as has its monetary systems, which have adapted to its expanding size and economy. Despite the complexity of global commerce, being made more efficient by the internet, many challenges like online security and privacy still need to be overcome. While these challenges are unique to the modern era, evolution is inherently part of the nature of trade. The methods and means of trade are in a perpetual state of change and development, keeping up with technological advancements and the evolving need of society. Despite the, these changes, the properties that underpin trade remain constant. As the trading landscape transforms, the fundamental properties of wide acceptability, portability, value preservation, and more recently, censorship resistance are required for a tool to function well as a medium of exchange, and they have remained unchanged over time. Therefore, as trade continues to evolve, the importance of these underlying properties will continue to be crucial in determining the success and stability of any economy. The good that best satisfies these properties should emerge as the dominant medium of exchange, but this evolution can take time. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, man. Not not a bad primer for what a medium of exchange is. Makes me kind of uh, looking forward to reading the other parts of this series, of which there are like four or five so far, but we've got as usual, better fish to fry. Terraform Labs co-founder and nine others have been indicted in South Korea. Prescient Ja tells us about the ongoing saga that is Terraform Labs, and he does it from Cointelegraph. The Financial Crimes Unit of the Seoul Southern District Prosecutor's Office has reportedly indicted Terraform Labs co-founder Shin Hwan Shong and nine other individuals for the collapse of the Terra ecosystem. The 10 individuals were reportedly indicted on charges of fraud, breach of trust, and embezzlement, and referred to trial after 11 months of investigation. The prosecutor's office suspected that the individuals involved in the collapse amassed illicit profits of nearly $350 million U.S., as reported by KBS World, a Korean daily. 
Shin is also accused of misleading investors and falsely advertising the product to cause significant losses despite knowing that the project was unfeasible. Prosecutors have also seized the assets of the indicted individuals and estimated them to be worth a total of $180 million. The prosecutor's indictment comes just days after a district court in Seoul declared that the Luna token was not a security and doesn't fall under the purview of the Capital Markets Act. The court had earlier refused the prosecution's 10 demands for charging Shin for the violation of securities laws. All right, so there you go. That's the article. The, there, it just never ends. But uh, it's odd. I saw a headline um, while I was setting up the show. I'm not going to read it, but the headline basically said that Du Quan and his lawyers are arguing that because the Luna token has been deemed to not be a security in South Korea, that the Securities and Exchange Commission of the United States should drop their case against Du Quan. Yeah, that's some seriously wishful thinking right there, pal. <laughs> now, on to whales. We've got whale song going on, and I'm reading you this because I think you need to know something about what's called whale song when it comes to Bitcoin. Coindesk, Shara Malwa, Bitcoin whales, spook crypto Twitter with sudden wallet movements. Oh my God, the pods are moving again, pal. Investors who hold large amounts of Bitcoin and did not move their coins for years are suddenly showing signs of life, sparking conversations on crypto Twitter about the possible reasons behind the activity. Oh my God. The investors are known as whales because they are have a shit ton of Bitcoin. And that's, I'm just paraphrasing. One such wallet, which was last active in 2012, moved more than 400 Bitcoin. Oh my God. Over the weekend, the Bitcoin whale moved 360 Bitcoin to one wallet and 40 Bitcoin to other wallets. The whale had purchased 900 Bitcoin in 2012, holding onto the asset ever since then with a nearly 40,000% gain on the initial investment. The movement comes on the back of several other whales moving large quantities of meth. And I'm talking about shitcoin number one. Another whale wallet moved 279 Bitcoin earlier in April after over... 10 years of being asleep. Oh, we're all going to die. The whale received 1,128 Bitcoin between the years 2012 and 2013 when the price fluctuated between 12 and $195. The holdings are now worth $31 million. Shitcoin One holders are moving their tokens too. Last week, a participant in the Ether initial coin offering moved one Ether. To another wallet, after eight years of inactivity, the wallet holds more than 2,356 Ether, purchased at 31 cents a piece in the ICO. It's now valued at over 4 million. The identities of these whales are unknown. The silence has spurred speculation on crypto Twitter with possible reasons ranging from developers of the dark website Silk Road getting access to the whale's wallets to insiders in the know moving tokens ahead of bad news. Some have speculated that the holder's wallet's passwords have been cracked. Quote, we're now at way too many 10 plus year wallets springing into life on multiple assets. All of a sudden, crypto investor Adam Cochran said on Twitter, quote, unless these wallets are somehow related to Mt. Gox cold storage, then some old wallet generator has to have been cracked. Oh, for God's sakes. Mt. Gox, which was one of the largest Bitcoin exchanges in the world, closed shop in 2014 after it was revealed that it lost hundreds of thousands of Bitcoins. 
<clears throat> Cochrane's reasoning may be plausible because old wallets have repeatedly been the target for hackers, hackers and online thieves. And earlier this month, Taylor Monahan, founder of MyCrypto, a wallet manager for Shitcoin number one flagged a massive wallet draining operation that seemed to affect whales and early holders of uh, Ethereum. Monahan estimated that more than 5,000 Ether were drained from such wallets in a sophisticated attack. My guess, quote, my guess is that someone has got themselves a fatty cache of data from one plus year ago and is methodically draining the keys as they parse them from the treasure trove Monahan tweeted at the time. Okay, so that's the article. And why is it complete bullshit? It's a scare tactic. It's just, first of all, it, this particular article is just clickbait. Because fear and blood, you know, if it, if it bleeds, it leads, brother. And oh my God, Bitcoin whales moving all this Bitcoin that hasn't been active in 12 years. W yeah, welcome to this week. <clears throat> welcome to the year 2023. I've seen this every single time Almost every single decent sized drop in the Bitcoin price as regarding US, the United States dollar is concerned, is always, almost always followed up by massive whale movements. Why would you do that to instill fear into the market? Why? So that dumbasses with weak hands, with weaker hands than yours, will sell their Bitcoin. And what does that do? Well, that lowers the price of Bitcoin because the more sell orders there are on any of the markets, that flashes a signal to the market itself saying, oh, Bitcoin's on sale and the price pressure from above is increased and the price gets pushed down and down and down. And all you had to do was move your Bitcoin from one wallet to another. This could actually be nothing more than people going, God dang, you know, I read that article uh, two weeks ago. Maybe I was listening to the Bitcoin and podcast and, you know, David decided to read this article about the possibility of moving really old coins from, uh, in, from one old key into another one, a newer key. Not because the key is newer, but just because, ah, you know, I mean, unless you plan on screwing this thing up and losing all your Bitcoin because you're not dead sober and you're not watching what you're doing, uh, all you're doing is taking your old keys and basically disregarding or, you know, making sure that if they are compromised, they're not, they're no longer compromised because you've got a brand new set of keys. You're changing your security model. Maybe you went from single SIG to multi-SIG. Who knows, right? But this happens every single time. That's what I'm getting at. Every time we see any kind of price drop movements in Bitcoin, and sometimes even when the price rises, we see all these, we were regaled by Cointelegraph and Coindesk and, and sometimes Bitcoin Magazine and Decrypt about how the whales are moving their coins and oh my God, we should be scared. And all that does is shake out more weak hands and they fall out of the tree and their Bitcoins are gathered up by somebody else at cheap, much cheaper prices. Because there's always somebody on the other end of that trade. If you're scared, if you get scared by this article and you immediately decide to sell your Bitcoins, guess who's buying them? I am. I'm buying your Bitcoin. 
And if it's not me, it's somebody else who understands this better than the people who get scared because a whale decided to move Bitcoin from one wallet to another. Nowhere in this article is there even a hint that it's gone to an exchange. Most of the exchange wallets are well-known wallet addresses and they are watched like hawks. Nowhere in this article or in any of the other articles that I've ever read about this, of which there are many, this is not the first time I've read an article like this. This is the same article that I've read probably 16 times since I've been doing this show and I'm coming up, you know, I'm in my fifth year. It happens every time. If you're worried about this, then sell your Bitcoin. I'll buy them. I'll keep them safe, but I'm never giving them back. So I'm just, come on, guys, let's not be stupid about this kind of stuff. Now, uh, Fountain, I am still in the number one uh, spot on the Fountain charts. I didn't do that. You did that. But this time, yesterday's show, episode 711, I cannot read any of the 10 boostograms that I got out of it. Why? I don't know who sent them and I don't know what was said because for some reason, fountain.fm, the the web browser version of Fountain so that you can go see all this stuff, somehow or another, everything works except who sent a boost, what the boost said, but I do know the amounts. And the top one was 20,000 Satoshis given to me four hours ago by Anonymous. Eight, a boob, there's a boob boost uh, by Anonymous. There's a stri- an almost striper boost by Anonymous. There's a full striper boost by Anonymous. And a row of ducks by Anonymous, and you get the drift. All right, It's not that I don't want to read these. I do. It's just that I can't see them. If what for what, you know, and, and here's, here's the thing I, when I first saw this, because it's all, you know, there's always a case when, uh, sometimes sometime or another, I'll click the link to my own show on fountain that I've got saved and it comes up as it doesn't exist. Or if it does exist, uh, I'll click the link to the episode that I want to read boostograms from. And then that episode for whatever reasons coming up is like, can't find it. It's like a 404 error or something like that. And then I get this one. This is the first time I've ever seen it where I can't see the boostograms. I can only see uh, the amounts. And I got, I fell into the hole of legacy. I fell into the legacy hole. And that is getting pissed that something doesn't work. And then I had to remind myself how early not only I am to all of this, podcasting 2.0, Bitcoin, Noster, you name it. I mean, I, I am swimming in the new, and so are you. But I allowed myself for a brief second to get a little pissed off at Oscar Mary and the crew over at Fountain because this, you know, this Boostergram thing wasn't working. Dude, take it from me, that is an asshole attitude to have. If you're swimming in the new, then you should expect temperature changes, like massive swings in temperature where all of a sudden you're swimming, it's nice and warm, and then it gets really cold. And then from there, it's like too unbearably hot because it's new. It's still new. Fountain has been around for a while. Dudes, it's still new. These are all of them. Fountain, the uh, Adam Curry and his friend, uh, John, that's doing um, um, 
Podcasting 2.0 and Podcast Index, small crew. Uh, Breeze, small crew. All the wall- wallets, Stoshi, small crew. Uh, Phoenix wallet, small crew. Noster, small crew. You know, well, there's several small crews because they're all working on clients. Uh, what I'm getting at is that I kind of felt bad that I had a, a little streak of anger in me when I saw that Fountain App wasn't showing me exactly what I wanted to show me when I wanted it to show it, have it show it to me. Um, yeah, that's hubris, and we need to get away from that. Let's run the numbers. CNBC futures and commodities have got West Texas Intermediate down a full 2.25% to $77.02. Jesus. Brent North Sea is likewise down two and a third to $80.81. Natural gas is the only thing up. It's up by three quarters of a point, $2.29 per thousand. Gasoline is down 1.73% to $2.58 a gallon. Uh, shiny metal rocks, uh, gold, uh, it's okay. $2,013 and 70 cents. Uh, that's after a 0.7% rise. So Peter Schiff is happy. Silver is down 0.7% to $25 and 11 cents. Platinum is up 0.77. Copper is down 2.7. Palladium is down three and a quarter percentage points. Ag is mixed, mostly down, however. Biggest loser today is going to be cotton, two and a half off. And the uh, biggest winner is sugar, again, 0.3% to the upside. I got live cattle down a third of a point. Lean hogs down a quarter of a point. And feeder cattle down scant, 0.04%. Got the Dow is down almost a full point percent. Uh, S&P is down one and a half NASDAQ is down one and a half and the S&P mini is down one and three quarters. Real money struggling again, uh, $27,532.77. That's after 305,000 BTC have changed hands in the last 24 hours. Average transaction value 0.8 BTC, median transaction value 0.005 BTC or 150 bucks. Maybe yesterday's really weird reading was correct. This should be 300. Honestly, this should be about 300. So I don't know what's going on, but I do know the block times are high at 10 minutes and 45 seconds. We have a 0.2 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis, yet 25 and three quarters BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24 hour period. After a 2.39% drop in hash rate, we are back to 333.36 exahashes per second. Don't fear, that's more than enough security for the network. Uh, 0.078 USD or 7.8 United States pennies is your shitcoin indicator's price, uh, otherwise known as Dogecoin. $535.7 billion of market cap is 4.02% of gold's entire market cap. And if you so choose, you may purchase 13.9 ounces of shiny metal rocks, of which there are 19,355,905.71 of, and 5,373.4 of those are in the Lightning Network valued below $150 million, chilling out at $148.8 million being run 
uh, with 73,983 payment channels that we know about, and only 65.9% of all of that's being run over Tor. We got a 0.4% drop in difficulty change. That's the estimation for May the 4th be with you, 2023. Mempool's picking back up. We got 18, I don't know, 20, 22 blocks, somewhere around there. Uh, carrying 60,000 unconfirmed transactions waiting to clear. Uh, low priority transactions are costing 23 Satoshis per V-byte. High priority or next block transactions are 31 Satoshis per V-byte. So a buck 20 is what it's going to cost you for a standard SegWit transaction with no funny business. Uh, yeah, that's, that's the weather report. Welcome to part two of the news you can use. We're going to start this one off with Noster Report. Uh, if you're on Noster and you are not following Noster Report, you should probably do that. And this is the first time that I've actually gone to their webpage, Noster.Report. And you know what it looks like? The old Drudge Report. Three columns, all on white, black text. Uh, looks like Times New Roman is the font. It looks exactly it's the exact layout of Drudge Report, which I used to actually read back in the day when Mike Drudge was actually still doing it. And when he sold it, it just went, <laughs> it went off the deep end really, really fast. Uh, so I stopped. But the Noster Report uh, has, looks like it's taking its place as far as all news Noster. So we'll read their general Noster Report, see how this goes. The Noster Report, meet the parents. April the 23rd. No, wait. Oh my God. Is this, wait, hold on. Yeah, well, I, I guess that's, I guess that's the last one they've released. So what's in this one? Uh, I got a quote of the day. As a dev, I take a look at Blue Sky's spec and it feels overwhelmingly bloated and confusing. As a dev, I take a look at Noster's NIP01, realize I don't need to read anything else and build something 10 minutes later, not quite the same. That's a Pablo F7Z stating the obvious. Um, and this goes back to what I start, you know, at the head of the show, we were talking about that whole blue sky debacle. Uh, yeah, I don't, I honestly, I wonder, I have wondered this before and I'm wondering it again, especially now. Noster wasn't alive when Jack Dorsey started talking about uh, Blue Sky and he was still CEO over at Twitter and he was pitching it internally in, inside of Twitter. He was able to form a team, the Blue Sky team, and they started working on the at protocol, or I guess they started working on the at protocol. Maybe it was already in existence. doesn't matter. I, I don't care. But Noster, the whole point was, is that it looked like Jack was going, okay, you guys have trashed Twitter. I need a way out. We're going to do blue sky. We'll do it internally. He was probably had the machinations that he was going to bail at that time. And this was the only thing that he could think of that would be, you know, possibly decentralized by the time, you know, he j had just got out of Twitter, you know, but he quit. And, you know, I guess he was able to take blue sky with him. And then all of a sudden Noster hits. And then Jack starts promoting the shit out of Noster. And I wonder, because if this is something, if this is going to be your new business model, 
and you're Jack Dorsey, the last thing that you really want to do is bring that kind of attention to what would be a direct competitor, even though there's no centralized authority for Noster, right? I'm just saying. <laughs> so I wonder if the minute that Noster hit, that Jack said, shit, that's the, that's the answer. What I thought was the answer is not the actual answer. And if Jack is truthful with himself and with, you know, his spirit and his soul and the rest of the world, and I get the feeling he's kind of a highly spiritual guy, then he has probably said, you know what, see what Blue Sky does, but I'm really more interested in, in Noster at this point. We'll let Blue Sky do what it does. If it survives, yay. If not, I don't care. He's got a billion dollars. What I mean, It doesn't matter at this point for him. I mean, he's got everything that he's ever going to want. Uh, but I wonder, I, I just wonder if, if, if Noster took him completely by surprise, it wouldn't, it wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me one bit anyway. So that's the quote of the date, uh, day for the Noster report. I won't read any more. I just wanted to kind of try this thing out again. It's Noster.report, Noster.report. And when you go to it, it'll look exactly like the old Drudge report. And if you ever read that, you'll understand exactly why. Moving on, Binance adds AI-powered Sensei chatbot to its crypto academy. Sensei spelt the uh, Japanese uh, spelling for teacher, okay, in case you're wondering what Sensei, what sensei uh, actually means. <clears throat> uh, hold on. <laughs> this is from Decrypt. It's written by Jason Nelson. Given the hype surrounding both sectors, it was inevitable that AI would make its way into the world of crypto. On Monday, Binance announced the introduction of Binance Sensei, an AI-powered chatbot for its Binance Academy. Quote, Binance strives to be at the forefront of innovation, making sure our users have access to the newest and most innovative technologies, a company spokesperson tells Decrypt. Quote, as this new technology became available, we integrated a chat GPT-driven tool, allowing users to seamlessly navigate the vast world of blockchain and crypto education. This can't end well. Sensei is designed to enhance user engagement with educational content using OpenAI's ChatGPT to provide relevant and easily digestible information through keywords and natural language questions. Currently available in English, Binance Sensei, similar to Perplexity AI, provides a brief response and suggests three relevant articles. The introduction of Binance Sensei highlights the ongoing trend of integrating AI into user-friendly tools that cater to the user's needs. Quote, I am powered by ChatGPT and trained with 1,000 articles and glossary ent entries from Binance Academy. My responses are provided as an on an as-is basis for general information only without any representation, warranty, or guarantee of completeness or accuracy. Quote, Sensei is only intended to be a facilitating tool to assist users in obtaining answers efficiently using content from the Binance Academy platform or other reliable open sources. It is not intended to provide any form of specific advice to users, Binance warns. Sensei isn't the company's first foray into providing AI tools. Oh boy, earlier we also offered 
our users uh, Binance Bicasso, an AI NFT generator that allows Binitions to create custom images using artificial intelligence, which can then be minted into NFTs on BNB chain. Yay. Thanks to AI systems like ChatGPT and DALL-E, chatbots have surged in popularity in the past year, making 2023 a pivotal year for AI development and adoption. This adoption has proven double-edged, as AI has also been used to generate fake interviews, run Ponzi schemes, and imitate famous musicians. Yeah, that's none of those are, is what I am concerned about here. The integration of, of this chat GPT or AI bot into Binance's quote unquote education platform is a test balloon by Binance. They're going to integrate it into their trading platform at one point or another. It's going to happen because all the rest of these idiots are going to do that too. And this is one of the things that makes me, well, it does. It concerns me. I'm not going to lose any sleep over it because I'm never going to, I'm never going to touch this shit. I don't trade anyway. I sure as shit ain't going to trade with some kind of AI assistance. And somebody out there is going, well, you're going to lose out. Good, fine. I don't care. I don't want to be part of a casino that would have me as a member, right? It's a casino. It's gambling. Even if it's structured gambling, I don't give a shit, man. The shit is immoral. If you're a gambler, look, okay, I'm, I kind of get poker. Okay, I do. I almost get horse racing. Gambling on those two things, I kind of get, right? Why? Well, if you're really good at horse racing and understand the breeds, understand, like, but you got to put a shit ton of work. You go meet the jockey. You go meet the owner. How is this animal handled? You know, understand it, the animal's entire performance and not just that animal, all the rest of them, the whole field. And this is somebody who's, it's beyond a hobby. It's a lifelong love. That's enough information that you very well may be able to make a good structured bet and be fairly certain of winning, winning that bet, right? Because you're putting so much of your own time into understanding the skill level involved of the animal, the animal handling crew and the jockey, you understand the way the, the, you know, the, uh, the track, you know, all about this. That's proof of work. Okay. So that one, I don't mind poker. That's another one. If you're not gambling in poker, then you have no stake in the game, which means that you, you're, I mean, why are you even there? I finally get that part, but roulette, dice and there are so many people that say oh dude i know how to make it box cars every time or i know how to make it you know come up sevens every time really well then how come you're not rich how come you're how come you are like unless you're banned from every casino from atlantic city to vegas to tahoe then i don't believe you that's a game of chance in this particular case there's no way that you've read all the white papers. And if you did, there's no way for you to understand whether or not those AI papers or the, the white papers are not AI generated or just lifted. And we've seen that before, just complete plagiarisms. There's no way you're not. I mean, there's not 3000 horse, you know, horses that are racing. There's not that many horse racing teams in the United States. You might, I mean, you, you can wrap your head around the amount of horse racing teams that there are. 
you can wrap your head around a 52, uh, 52 card deck. You can wrap your head around that kind of shit. You can't wrap your head around 20,000 shit coins being operated and traded against by their own AI. You don't have, if you have anything to do with this, then you might as well put your money in a brown paper bag and light it on fire and throw it out the window because that is what CZ is going to do. AI will be integrated in shit coin trading platforms. So you'll have to navigate that. You'll also have to navigate the thousands of shit coins that are about to fall on us that are AI generated. Whether the coins are real or the token is real or the blockchain is real or not, it doesn't matter. They'll just spin up a whole fucking website so that you can give them your Bitcoin. And if you are dumb enough to do that, I, I'm not sorry. I'm not going to lose any sleep over it because I'm warning you now. Don't have anything to do with any of this shit. How do you get around it? You buy Bitcoin, you hold Bitcoin. That's it. It's, it the more you complicate something, the easier it is to stop up the drain. The simpler things are, like looking at a hill and understanding where the water is going to flow. That's not hard. You look for the crotch because that's where water is going to be. How do you know? Because the reason it's a crotch is that's where water was. <laughs> it's not hard. Okay. Don't, don't get fooled into doing anything with AI and crypto. Stay away from all of it if you possibly can. Now, <clears throat> if you have Bitcoin, you should hold Bitcoin like Bulgaria does, or at least so far. A seized Bitcoin stack could be Bulgaria's golden ticket. Ahmed Botan for Bitcoin Magazine. Bulgaria, a small country located in Southeast Europe, nestled between Romania and Greece, is set to become one of the wealthiest countries in the world. The reason for this is that it has possession of 213,000 Bitcoin, which its authorities seized from a group they labeled as criminals back in 2017. According to the Southeast European Law Enforcement Center, the group hacked a Bulgarian customs agency's computers and made changes to the system so that their partner companies could import goods while avoiding paying taxes on them. Immediately following the crackdown, the Bitcoin seized was worth about $500,000. However, it is now worth closer to Six billion with a B as of April the twenty uh, of April twenty twenty three. While the details around the BTC seizure are unclear, and it's not totally clear whether the country still holds that Bitcoin or what it plans to do with the stack if it does hold the Bitcoin, the potential of a nation like Bulgaria holding this much BTC is worth exploring. As the value of Bitcoin is, in the view of many, set to go up a lot higher still in the coming years. Bulgaria could stand to become very, very wealthy. While the future price of Bitcoin is impossible to, impossible to predict, there are some prominent examples of experts explaining why they're confident Bulgaria's Bitcoin holdings will grow exponentially in value. Jesse Mayers, the COO of OnRamp Bitcoin, who holds an MBA from Stanford, has predicted that the Bitcoin price will hit $10 million in the coming decades. ARK Invest CEO Kathy Wood has predicted Bitcoin will reach $1 million by 2030 in a bullish scenario. Similarly, Arthur Hayes, co-founder of BitMEX, believes the Bitcoin could hit $1 million by 2026. 
Most recently, the former CTO of Coinbase, Balaji Sindrinson, has predicted Bitcoin would hit $1 million by June 15th of this year, wagering a $2 million bet to that effect. While most people don't believe that the Bitcoin price can reach $1 million by then, anything's possible. For example, if there was an extended banking crisis and hyperinflation of the United States dollar as predicted by Srinvasan, I can't pronounce his name, who knows how valuable Bulgaria's Bitcoin stack will become. For instance, shortly after his bet, although this was certainly unrelated, several nations, including China, Russia, Saudi Arabia, and Kenya, and more began moving away from the U.S. dollar in their trades, with the Kenyan president warning citizens to get rid of their dollar holdings. The United States government has measures in place to prevent further bank runs, like the Federal Reserve's $25 billion bank term funding program and the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation's openness to cover all deposits. I think If the FDIC decides to insure all deposits, that would be enough to deter true bank runs. But it's clear that the U.S. dollar is not as strong as it used to be, and that that opens up the door for a decentralized global monetary unit like Bitcoin to rise. As a result, if Bulgaria holds on to its BTC stash, it could amass more value relative to the holdings of other countries around the world and become one of the world's richest. Bulgaria could use future Bitcoin gains to invest in its own economy, but it will have to pay off national debts first. As of 2022, Bulgaria's national government debt reached $20 billion in 2022. By 2030, if the Bitcoin price hits $1 million and, it still, and still holds its seized 213,000 BTC, it could be worth $213 billion. And after paying off its debt, Bulgaria could use the funds generated from selling the 231 BTC to invest in various industries such as technology or real estate. Moreover, the Bulgarian government could use the funds generated from the sale of its Bitcoin to improve the country's infrastructure, education, and healthcare. By investing in these essential sectors, Bulgaria could attract foreign investment, and this would further boost the country's economy. Bulgaria has a significant opportunity to become one of the wealthiest countries in the world if it's hodling its Bitcoin and sells some at the right time, but it seems wise for the country to keep a significant portion of Bitcoin in reserve in perpetuity as fiat currencies like the dollar continue to deteriorate. All this talk about selling. Nobody's learning their lesson ever. It's the first thing that this entire article says about Bulgaria's future with their Bitcoin revolves around selling on the open market. No, that's stupid. It's just fucking dumb. Now, how to do it without selling Bitcoin? Oh, I don't know. Just use it as your national currency and completely ditch the dollar and make a a formal announcement that Bulgaria is all in on Bitcoin. Will that happen? No. I I get that. I understand that. But what happens if Bulgaria does that? Think about it. All trade coming into Bulgaria would have to be settled in Bitcoin. However, Bulgaria could say that all trade that's being exported from Bulgaria, you have the choice to use Bitcoin, but we will not not trade with you if you want to use, you know, U.S. dollar, Russian rupees, or I mean, Indian rupees, Russian rubles, uh, whatever, right? You could do that too. But if you forced everybody to do business with your country in Bitcoin, and you could actually facilitate that for them, you could work with Strike and say, hey, 
How do we use that technology where, you know, people send Bitcoin and it turns into like whatever their currency is on the other end and vice versa? Yeah, we want to use that. And that way it really wouldn't matter for somebody who wanted to buy shit from Bulgaria or, or, or sell shit to Bulgaria because they could say, well, we're not paying you Bitcoin. Bulgaria could say, doesn't really matter to us, but you do have to use strike or something that, that facilitates this trade. And that way Russia and Putin or whatever, or, or Modi and in India could trade with Bulgaria and say, well, you know, we want to, uh, you know, we want to import our shit or, or sell you our shit and, or we want to buy your stuff and then we'll trade in, uh, uh, rupees. And then that those rupees are converted into Bitcoin on the other side of the Bulgarian border. And then all of a sudden you've got a, a, a Southeast European country. That's basically a circular economy. It's, it's a little far-fetched. I get it. It's just that when you, when you start the thought process or the uh, thought experiment of what, what would it look like? It kind of becomes a little fascinating because if, if, you know, and especially considering that for now, our only reaction to a country or an individual with a heavy stack of Bitcoin is how rich they are if they sell it. Well, I, I, I'm tending to disagree more and more with that. And, and it's not really because of my want and, and, and the arguments for building a circular economy for Bitcoin. It's more than that. There's something else and I can't put my finger on it. And sure, you know, the guys out there, you guys out there that have read like all the Saifedean's books and, and all the, the, the other economy books and, you know, and, and whatever, you, maybe you understand exactly what it is that I'm trying to articulate that I cannot, I can't even get it out of my own mind. There's something about where we're at, where sell, and it's been this way for me for a while, where selling the Bitcoin doesn't make sense but I can't exactly articulate the mechanics of why. And it's, but circular economy is one of them, right? The reasons to get away from fiat currency is another one of them. Uh, you know, open and honest free markets is another part of it, but there's something bigger. There's a bigger core of the thought of Bulgaria sitting on 213,000 Bitcoin that there's a, there's a core about why they should not sell it and how to utilize it. And I guess maybe the, the, what the core that I'm looking at is clouded because do we really understand how to truly utilize Bitcoin at this point? And I think the answer is no. I don't think we know what Noster is yet. We've been working with Bitcoin for 14 years. I don't think we know what it is yet. And if you don't know what something is, then you don't necessarily know how to utilize it. Think of aliens crash landing on, you know, on the planet Earth. And let's say all the humans are gone for whatever reason. I don't know, plague, maybe we all decided to get the hell out and we had all this fancy technology and we all left and left everything behind, including a John Deere tractor sitting out in the middle of a wheat field and aliens from some other planet that have no conception whatsoever about how shit was done on earth could stumbles across this, this tractor. Would they know how to utilize it? They'd have to study it and look at it and maybe start theorizing and then start playing around with it. But even if they get it started and they figure out how to drive, do they understand what its usefulness actually is? Do they understand what the cutting head does on the front of this tractor when it comes to harvesting wheat? 
And even if they understood all that, do they know how to actually plant the seed for wheat and get it to grow? See, there's so many different things that interact with these systems that it's hard to really, truly understand what Bitcoin actually is. So when I get hold of stories about Bulgaria, and we still don't know if they, if they have that Bitcoin left or not. I hope they do. But they didn't buy it. I mean, they stole it, and that's shitty for a state to do. But hey, it happened, and I'm, I'm just going to let it go. So I can get, you know, get through the rest of this. It just seems to me that Bulgaria, along with a few, a handful of other states are in a very unique position to drive the future of humanity. Do they understand that? And if they do understand that, do they have the technical know-how to facilitate that? I don't know, man. Maybe Bitcoin Policy Institute should be uh, cozying up with with Bulgaria, put an office over there. I don't know. It doesn't really matter, though. Genesis settlement has been disrupted by yet new creditor demands, Digital Currency Group says. Helen Parts, Cointelegraph. Troubled digital currency company Genesis Capital saw its settlement disrupted by creditors in two months after the initial agreement, raising concerns about the timing of the process. Genesis's apparent company, Digital Currency Group, took to Twitter on April the 25th to issue a statement on Genesis filing a motion for mediation. The firm said that Genesis settlement could be troubled due to renewed demands from creditors. In February, Genesis Capital submitted a comprehensive settlement to the bankruptcy court after reaching an agreement in principle with DCG and the creditors. Under the proposed restructuring plan, Genesis creditors E under the... uh, E under, I don't know what that is. That's weird. Genesis creditors E under the initial settlement plan. I guess that was a misspelling under the initial settlement plan. Genesis creditors were expected to receive 80% recovery of funds lost due to the bankruptcy uh, and 80% recovery of funds lost due to the firm's collapse of oper- collapsed operations. A few months later, Genesis creditors eventually raised their demands, significantly disrupting the ongoing court process, according to DCG. Quote, While it's difficult to understand the rationale given the limited engagement from Genesis creditors since the February court filing, our understanding is that a subset of creditors have decided to walk away from the prior agreement DCG wrote. DCG noted that it remains committed to reaching a fair settlement deal for all and will have to take into account any new demands against previous concessions. So the firm stated, quote, We do not know if the hundreds of thousands of individual creditors are aware of this development, but this latest maneuver will prolong the court process, end quote. So <laughs> the creditors look like they shot themselves in the foot by making further demands after a agreement was reached with DCG. If this is true, then we can't really bitch at DCG. You got to bitch at the creditors for basically putting a gun to their own head and pulling the trigger. That was a stupid thing to do. When you reach an agreement with somebody, Honor the agreement, whether you're an individual or part of a group. It's not hard. It's like buying Bitcoin and holding Bitcoin. It's, it's the simplest process in the world. The minute you complicate shit by, oh, I don't know, wanting to change an agreement that has been already agreed upon or demanding an agreement change that you've already agreed upon, eh, you're just stopping up the drain. Amazing. Freaking amazing. That's going to do it for the morning roundup.
All right, I didn't bring you a joke yesterday. Got to rectify that today with Dad Says Jokes. My doctor has advised me to stop drinking. It's going to be a massive change for me. I've been with that doctor for 15 years. Yeah, I like that joke. I like one of these days I'll get my soundboard back and we'll do the whole uh, sound effect for it again. But right now, uh, it's just I don't know what's going on with it. So I'm not going to worry about it today. Um, <clears throat> I have a question for all you guys that are out there. All right. So um, generally speaking, what, whenever it is that I put out a call to action, like, you know, help me out with podcasting 2.0, you know, try to get me back into the top 10. You guys come out of the woodwork. And other times when I ask a question about like um, when, oh, I don't know, like, let me get back to uh, snort.social and see if I can find this thing again. Uh, Hold on, hold on. I know, I should have already had this up. I should have already had this up. Oh, somebody here. I got to get past all of that. Got to get past all, oh my God. God, dude, I'm getting hammered by my my theft of <laughs> of Pat's right click when I did the whole right click and save. Holy shit, man. It's like my notifications are just they're they're just jacked. Um hold on. There's a guy from Switzerland, because I asked yesterday and I'm not gonna be able to find it. Okay. Uh so I, I can't give proper I cannot give proper uh, accreditation uh, to the guy, but uh, I basically asked the question like, what you know, had I been hearing wrong that people in Switzerland were required to have firearms? I am wrong, uh, but almost every, like all the adults do have firearms. <laughs> okay, that's just sort of a, that's a it's sort of promoted and and it's kind of like you know they say hey you probably probably should have some firearms. What is required is 10 years of military service for all male uh, Swiss males. And that 10 years of military service is going to get you pretty fully aware of how weaponry works, what it does, how to service it, how to do things like all Marine Corps people. Like if you've ever been in the Marine Corps, you're, you're a rifleman. Like if you're in the Navy, you're a fireman. Yeah, everybody gets that, right? So here in in Switzerland, everybody gets 10 years of training. Oh, hey, look, hold on, maybe I got it. Nope, it's not going to come up. Um, so everybody gets training. Many people have firearms. You can even buy automatic weaponry, okay? That means fully automatic, okay? That's Switzerland. Now, if if everybody's got all these machine guns and all this armament laying around, how come the Swiss people ain't killing each other? Because apparently it's the gun's fault, right? Here in the United States, that's why we always have gun control every time somebody gets shot up. Not that I don't feel poorly for the people that got shot. I don't want that to happen. But it has nothing to do with the firearm, right? It has everything to do with the fact that there's something else going on that's causing people to want to pick up a tool of destruction and use it against their own brethren and commit mass murder. But it doesn't happen in Switzerland. So what, so it can't be the gun's fault. The point, I got outside the the point. The point was though, that every time I ask you guys a question, you guys respond, which I can only thank you for. But my question here is, um, I need to ask a question about why you think that um, 
let's see, how to put this? When I released the episode entitled Plant the Tree, and that was episode 708, and that was the episode that I went in length about the black locust tree, it's become almost my most, if, if not the most popular um, episode that I've ever done. It certainly has been, oh my God, let's see. Let me see if I can see this. Yeah, I mean, this is the most popular episode that I've ever done. And it's had the most listens for the longest period of time, no matter what other episode that I've ever released, whether it's a um, an interview or something else. Nothing has come, nothing that I've released in five years has come close to episode 708. Why? Do you, do you know? It's not, I didn't release it at a different time of day. I didn't release it over a weekend. It was never, it's everything about the show's release is the same as any other release. Yet this is by far the most popular episode that I've got. I would like to know why, because if it's popular because I went into depth of on uh, Black Locust Tree, then I want to do more of that. But it could just be a fluke. It could. It literally could just be a fluke that the planets were aligned and Mercury's in retrograde, and I don't know, man. Like spirits of the underworld decided to have a little party, and they just selected my spot. Who knows? It could be a complete fluke, but if you have an idea as to why it is that episode 708 is my most popular show after five years, please tell me why, because if it's not a fluke and it is something that is going to get, that is, is, is it about getting more listeners? Yeah, but you can only do that if you're presenting something that people want to listen to. I want to find the things Without selling my soul, I want to find the things that you guys want. And if talking about trees and comfrey is sparking your imagination and is causing you to send, you know, to get the word about the show out to more people for whatever reason, then I would like to do more of that. But not to the point that I sell my soul or I change the complete aspect of the show. This is Bitcoin and. So it's news about Bitcoin and other things like Noster is another thing. Black locust trees are another thing. Uh, what I think about silvopasture and permaculture and all that kind of stuff, that those are all other things. And I'd like to be able to bring them in, but not at the cost of Bitcoin news. So if you guys could give me an idea, if you happen to know why, like maybe you're like, well, dumbass, it's, it's exactly because of this or whatever, then I'd like to know because that will help me make a better show. I don't want to make a shittier show and I don't want to stay in the same place making the show that I'm making right now. If I can be better or if I can, you know, get more interest generated, then I want to do that. But I only want to get interest generated without selling my soul because I've seen I've seen so many people fall down the worst and deepest holes I don't want to go there. I've already got one rabbit hole to examine and that's Bitcoin. I don't need another one. So if you guys would do me a favor and ponder why 708 was the favorite episode of everybody, please let me know and I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. 
I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.